Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Well, I want to begin this morning by telling you a fascinating story. On January the 7th, 1959, Fidel Castro took over power in Cuba and he got up in front of a big bevy of microphones and got up in front of a bunch of microphones and he began to make promises to the people of Cuba. In fact, he said this to the people listening. He said, Cuban mothers, let me assure you that I will solve all Cuba's problems without spilling a drop of blood. As the jubilant crowd erupted in applause with joy, he continued, Cuban mothers, let me assure you that because of me, you will never have to cry. Wonderful promises that he made, but the following day, bulldozers rolled through the city and went towards a site in San Juan on the eastern part of Cuba and began to push sand over 100 bodies of people who were executed without trial. Thus began the dictator's rule. The promise of freedom was short-lived, and he began to uh, begin to uh, take captive people who were politically involved. He was... Uh, he was uh, responsible for uh, putting in prison a black man who was the longest suffering black prisoner in history. He was in prison longer than Nelson Mandela, Eusebio Penalva. And most people don't know that. They revere Fidel Castro, but he put black people in prison. In fact, he imprisoned two other black men, Dr. Elias Bissett and Jorge Utenez. He gave them 20-year sentences each for just mentioning Martin Luther King in public in one of the squares. Talk about democracy. I think he was worse than what was there before. But nonetheless, he promised a whole lot of things. One of the journalists in America was so taken with Fidel Castro, as some people are still today, that he said he was the greatest hero to appear in the Americas. At the time that Norman Mailer, the journalist, said this, Actually, Fidel Castro had put 4,000 corpses into the ground. One out of every 18 Cubans was a political prisoner, and his incarceration uh, uh, rate surpassed even Stalin's, where more people were put in prison during his rule than in the time of the Soviet Union. Promises, promises, promises. How many of you are sick of promises? Well, the ruling party in 1999 in South Africa, promised to have unemployment within 10 years. Unfortunately, they promised that seven, new, seven million new jobs would be created. By 2004, the unemployment rate had gone from 16.5% to over 25%, and yet they had added two million more jobs. Promises, promises. But as we stand today, the unemployment rate is 27.6%, and youth unemployment, it was just on the news recently, is 54.7%, the highest in the world. Aren't you tired of promises? Aren't you tired of people saying things and then not carrying it through? Isn't it true today that people get married and they make wonderful promises with flowers and roses and petals and celebrations only to break them three years later? Two years later, sometimes six months later, companies and businesses make us promises and then they fail to deliver. 
I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of promises. I remember years ago, those of you that remember the Dion store when it was first founded, they had a slogan, a promise we make is a promise we keep. Any company that has that slogan today would be crazy. No one would be crazy enough to make a promise like that, except a politician. We're getting tired of promises, aren't we? And what happens to us is, because of the promises of businesses, the promises of politicians, even the promises of some pastors, priests, people don't trust promises anymore. They say, you just use nice words so that you can get my money or get my vote. But I wanna tell you this morning, God is a God who keeps his promises. And we must not, we must not lose sight of the promises of God and that our God is a promise-keeping God. Because of the way people are, don't let that taint your view of God. Because the promises of God are the thing that will take you into the future. The minute you take your eyes off them, circumstances will overwhelm you and you'll end up in a depressed place, which is not God's purpose for your life. I wanna begin a new series this morning, one of three messages that I believe are extremely important, and I've entitled it today, Trusting the Promises When Facing Contrary Circumstances. Circumstances will always shout louder than the promises of God. They'll always shout opposite to the promises of God, but we have to trust the promises of God because God is a God we can trust. I don't know if you know, but there are more than 7,000 promises in the Bible. In the book of Ephesians, there are only six promises. But when you look at other books in the Bible, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you'll see that there are a thousand in each of those books, a thousand promises. Go to Psalm 37, every verse is a promise. Psalm 103, filled with promises for all areas of life. And so we must know the promises and hold on to the promises. You know, if I were to ask you today on either of these campuses to come out of the audience or the congregation and to write on a blackboard 20 promises of God, I think many people would struggle because it's not something we focus on. We tend to be emotional instead of knowing the facts of what God teaches and I want to encourage us today to hold on to our promise-keeping God because He is a covenant-keeping God that you can trust. He made promises to all the greats in the Bible, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua, to David. The Bible is littered with promises that God has given, and He's given them to us as well. Don't you remember He told Joshua that He would give him a land, and it was called the promised land. At the end of Joshua's life, this is what Joshua said about the promises of God. Look with me in Joshua 21. He says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. How many of you know God makes not only promises, He makes good promises. And the, the apostle Peter discovered this, and he also wrote about the promises of God. And this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need. Never forget that. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. They're not just great, they're very great. And they're not just promises, they're precious 
Can you see that? So that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, you don't live at a corrupt level, at a low level, you partake of the divine nature because you begin to believe what God has said is your lot in life. Sometimes the promises sound too good to be true, but one thing I know is they're very great, they're very precious, and they're super good. D.L. Moody said this, he said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And these promises cause us to live above circumstances. Some of us have faced such difficult circumstances and we've been waiting for God to come through that we've lost sight of the promises of God. Peter goes on to say this in 2 Peter 3. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. We grow impatient, but God is a God who fulfills his promises. How many of you know this morning you can trust what God says? You can trust him completely because from the first chapter of the Bible where God's voice is is, is, is mentioned. It says nine times in Genesis, and God said, and God said, and God said. And each time he said, listen, church, something happened. Each time he spoke, something, there was a result. So when God speaks, he doesn't just say stuff. Things happen. You can trust his promises. What he says happens, and what he says comes to pass. I love what Max Lucado said in his book, The Unshakable Hope. He said, God's promises are pine trees in the rocky mountains of Scripture, abundant, unbending, and perennial. That means they're present at all seasons. He says, some of the promises are positive, the assurance of blessings. Some are negative, the guarantee of consequences. But all are binding. For not only is God a promise maker, God is a promise keeper. It's easy to make promises but God doesn't just make promises, he keeps promises. Isn't that true? Now church, what happens to us on our journey of faith is as we take steps of faith, we need to realize that we're walking towards our future. Isn't that true? We're walking towards our destiny. And I want to illustrate to you this morning, the promises of God in your life are like stepping stones. If you don't have them, you're not standing on anything solid. You're standing on water or on sand. But the minute you step on the first promise that you're saved, that your sins have been forgiven, that you're now a child of God, no longer are you all over the place. You know who you are and you know whose you are. And so that's the starting point on life's journey. And now as you move through life, there will be times when God is quiet. It's like a gulf or a gap and you don't hear from him, but you've got to stand on his word and the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, it's not just salvation, but he is with you. And can you see how you make progress? And then you stand on the promise. You've been retrenched. You're unemployed. There's, there's, there's a storm taking place. But, but my God shall supply all my needs through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then as you feel fear and death comes your way and there's loss and, the, and, and our church has been rocked by loss. What do we do, Lord? The, the, the waves are, now we mustn't look at that. We need to step onto the next. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through death's dark, you are with me. Hmm? And our sickness comes. 
And you think, man, some of the promises of God are real, but you know, some are just in the Bible for show. No, no, no. When sickness comes, when cancer is diagnosed, you've got, to, you've got to step over the circumstances and you've got to I am the Lord that healeth thee. And sometimes there's a distance. God is quiet. Things don't seem to be happening. You don't hear his voice. You don't feel his presence. Have you abandoned me, Lord? No. No, I hold on to the promise that my Lord, the Lord is my helper. I won't fear what man will do to me. And so we make progress on the promises of God. You read Psalm 103, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who crowns your life with steadfast love so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. We've got to stand on the promises of God or we will sink on the circumstances of life. What are you focused on today? You have to know the promises and have your eyes on the promises. You know, it was so wonderful to read of the great men of God that have gone before us. One of them was a man called Hudson Taylor, had a call to go and preach in China, started the China Inland Mission. He went to the bank to register his organization so he could receive donations, and the bank gave him a form to fill in. Fill in your name, what do you do? Then they asked him, what are your assets? Well, he had nothing. So he wrote in the blank space, 10 pounds, and the promises of God. Where are you today? What would you fill in if you were asked house, car? You just say nothing but the promises of God. Because the promises of God, are, you can go to the bank on them. And we need to trust what God has said. You know, throughout the Bible, there've been many miracles, but when Jesus commends someone, you've got to take notice. One of those in Matthew's gospel is the story of the Roman soldier, the centurion who came to Jesus and he said, would you heal my servant? He's lying at home sick. Jesus said to him, I will come. He said, no, 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 don't come. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Because like me, I know that when you say to someone, go, they go. When you say, come, they come. Because I've got men under me. Jesus said, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. In other words, amongst God's people. Why did Jesus commend this man? Because this man understood what very few people understand. When God says something, you can count on it. He doesn't say stuff and not bring it to pass. And the centurion trusted that even though Jesus wasn't there, what he said would happen over there. And the Bible says the servant was healed that very hour. You see, the reason why we can trust God is not because of what he says, but who he is. Isn't that true? See, a lot of people make promises but your character is what's revealed when you make promises. Many people promise the earth, but it's only character that keeps promises. And once you know who God is, then you can begin to trust him. So I wanna give you some things this morning, six things that tell us who God is so that we're able to trust him. Are you with me? Number one, he is unchanging. God's not emotional. He doesn't have a monthly cycle. He's not moody. He doesn't get irritable in traffic. God is not happy one minute and sad the other. God is not unstable like some of us. He doesn't make big promises and then say, oh, what was I thinking? He's not like we are in our marriages, in our businesses. Sad to say, even in our churches. 
God is steady and he's unchanging. Even great leaders make promises and then they change their minds and we're all shocked. But that's the nature of human beings. I remember building our building next door years ago and uh, when I announced that we were gonna be building offices and a new building, a man came to me in the foyer after the service and he was annoyed with me. And he said to me, building buildings. I was in a church where a guy laid a foundation for a building and I gave money and the next minute he said, the Lord changed his mind and he immigrated. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised he doesn't trust any pastor because he's been mistreated. That pastor changed his mind. God's not like that. You know, God shows you something. You better be sure it's God. Don't tell people the Lord showed me. Then, oh, God's changed his mind. No, he hasn't changed his mind. God is steady, he's stable, and he's unchanging. Even the great kings of the world have changed their minds. And I was reading about a great uh, a British politician, Sir Thomas Wentworth. He was a senior statesman. He constantly advised King Charles I. And King Charles I so liked him that he actually wrote a decree, a written decree. And, 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 and this is what it said. Upon the word of the king, you shall not suffer in life, honor, or fortune. Quite a thing to write. Well, they say it wasn't long before King Charles disagreed with Thomas Wentworth and a warrant was signed by that same monarch to cut off his head. That's what people are like, but God is not like that. He's unchanging. Hebrews 13 and verse eight, let me, let me remind you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number two, he cannot lie. So God is unchanging, but he cannot lie because he is the truth. He doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth. He didn't say I speak truth. He said I am the truth. And God's promises, he makes them and he doesn't retract. Charles Stanley is a wonderful man of God. He's the father of Andy Stanley. Many of you would have heard of him. He said the scriptures contain many stories of people who waited years or even decades before the Lord's promises came to pass. What modern believers can learn from the patience of biblical saints like Abraham, Joseph, David, and Paul is that waiting upon the Lord has, has eternal rewards. You see, people with good intentions make promises, but it's only people with good character that keep them. And God makes promises even though it takes long, he cannot lie. If you just trust him and you keep standing on them, he will bring it to pass in your life. Number three, the third thing, he is faithful and totally dependable. God is not unreliable. He's, he's totally faithful and you can rely on what he says. And it's, you know why? Because God's a winner. God's a winner. I love what Dennis Waitley, he, he's a motivational speaker, he said this, he said, losers make promises they often break, winners make commitments they always keep. If you're a winner at Rivers Church, I'm gonna encourage you, keep your promises because you're being like God. You're not just being successful, you're being like God. Winners act like God. They're positive, they're full of faith, they expect the best and they keep their word. If you're in a marriage today and you're having challenges, don't be a loser, be a winner. You've made commitments. Come on now, see them through. Be like the Lord. Number four, he's all powerful and able. God is all powerful. He has all the resources to keep his word. He doesn't just say things and then he hasn't got it to back it up. He's not like parents who say, I'll buy you a car for your birthday. Then when the birthday comes, I'm broke. 
Good intentions. You do love your kids, but God, when he says something, he sees it through because he is powerful and he's able. What is it you need today? Your finances in the area of your health, area of your career, your family, your relationships, your health, all these areas. He has everything you need. Hold on to his promises in the Bible. James MacDonald is a pastor from the States, and he said when God promises, he's not saying I'll try. He means I can and I will. When we say, when, when we make a promise, I'll try. God says, no, I don't try. I can and I will. Number five, this is the reason you can trust God. He is love. God loves to make promises to those he loves. Isn't that good? It's because he loves us that he keeps them. See, people break their promises when they lose their love for you. Do you? I've done so many weddings, and you must see the couples. They're like, das, dan, hello. And I always remind them, God will give you the grace to keep these promises, because you need grace. Because with us here, and those tables next door, and the wine, and the food, and all the ribbons, and the petals, and, and the pictures, and the carriage, and ooh, I will love you and honor you. Uh, three years later, in court, openly airing the linen. Why? Because love is gone. See, the Lord loves you. That's why he keeps his promise. See, the devil doesn't love you. He promises you stuff, then he leaves you out to dry. Isn't that true? Thomas Brooks, a great, great man of God, lived in the 1600s. He's still quoted today. He said this. He said, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor, but pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and he pays with death. Isn't that the truth? But the Bible says we can trust God. Why? Because he loves us. He is love. Number six, here's the sixth thing about God that we need to understand so we can stand on his promises because his word is unbreakable our hope should be unshakable. God can't break his word. Once he said something, because he's unchanging, he cannot lie, he's totally reliable, totally able, and he's love, because his word is unbreakable, we should be unshakable. We shouldn't be moved by, by opinions or circumstances. But you've got to know what his word says. So that's why you have to read the Bible. You know, when, when God says something, you can go to the bank on it. You, you can depend on it. And the question is, not will God keep his promises. The question is, will you build your life on them? You know, I made a promise to Pastor Vilma 46 years ago that I would love her, comfort her. I don't always. And forsaking all others, remain with you as long as we shall live. She can build her life on that. She can build her life on that. She can know that when I travel, I'm not away hanging out with other women excusing myself from church early and then going out into the city and going to some bar and <laughs> she could no it gives you a confidence because I've said something and my character will back it up you got to put your you got to build your life on what God said otherwise you live in fear you live in doubt you live with insecurity you live checking up on God no because his word is unbreakable, our hope should be unshakable. Can you say amen? amen? You know, we were overseas and traveling around the world gives you an interesting perspective. Uh, I've noticed in the world today that technology is just 
moving at such a rate. Almost everyone in, in the big cities of America, they all, you know, these earbuds in their ears, the Apple earbud, no one has wires anymore, very few people, everyone's walking around talking on these. Technology, it, it, it's soaring, yet suicide rates across the world are on the increase. So we're getting better technologically, but we don't have a peace in our souls. New York City was very interesting. I've never seen so many people walking alone talking to themselves. And I'm just talking about matter, matter, matter. I'm talking about a conversation. And I said to him, yeah, but I told him. And then he said to me, but don't interrupt. It's like there's three people there, but there's one person. And demonstrative, guy sitting on a bench talking to himself. And I, you stop next to him and it's, it's quite amazing. Then the other people on their own, they're walking down the street rapping. do 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 the mother. And using words that I can't repeat. It's like... Are you practicing for a play? The first guy I saw, I thought, wow, he's got confidence or he's crazy. Then I saw another one. Then I saw a girl. And I thought, my gosh, what's the world coming to? You see, people no longer care about others. They no longer care what you think about them. They're trying to force themselves into confidence. They're trying to force themselves into a life of significance because they don't have that sense that God is on their side. They're not living by any promises. They're living by horrible circumstances. The Christian doesn't live like that. The people of promise don't live like that. We run everything through the filter of God's promises. Can you say amen? And God has promised us in every area, our health, our finances, our future, our careers, our emotions, our friendships, in every area of life, he's promised us that he will soon crush Satan under our feet. There are so many promises we need to hold onto. And because his word is unbreakable, our hope should be unshakable. Can you say amen? Now, there's some things I want to give you that you need to know now that you know who God is so that you can build your life on them. Are you ready? Six things, and we've got quite far. And I wanted to lay a foundation today because I really want to encourage you to seek the promises of God. So these are the following things that, that you need to do when circumstances try and point you away from the promises of God. Number one, you need to know how valuable you are to God. That's why he's made promises. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom. Everyone is valued by God. But sometimes we think we're only as valuable as our performance. I haven't had a good week, so I can't go to God and trust him for finances. No, no, it's not your performance that brings the release of finance, it's your faith. So you need to know how valuable you are. God doesn't value according to performance, he values according to what Jesus paid for your life. Are you with me? Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, God promises to keep his people and he keeps his promises. See, he loves you as his child and he'll make sure he brings you to the other side. Number two, a lack of wisdom is the cause of our problems, not a lack of promises. Don't think God's promises have failed your life. Sometimes you're the cause of your own problems. Oh God, your promises aren't true. He says, no, my promises are true, but you've abandoned them. You've chosen a different course. You haven't used wisdom. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? He had everything at home, an inheritance that was due, but he chose to take some of it and walk away from his father, and he ended up amongst the pigs. Was that God's plan? No, it wasn't. It was a lack of wisdom that deprived him from future promises. The minute he made up his mind to go home, the promises then were enacted, and he got a second portion of inheritance. 
Make sure a lack of wisdom doesn't keep you from the promises of God. Number three, the third thing is this. They cannot be earned, but can be blocked. So you can't earn God's promises, but you can do things that block them from coming into your life. You say, what do you mean by that? You see, some of us believe that the better we behave, the more God's promises will come to us. So like the prodigal, we can, we can have a lack of wisdom, but remember the older brother? He stayed at home. He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, when his dirty brother came home, he said to the father, all these years, I've done everything you asked me. I've never, I've never done anything wrong. I've served you, and you never even gave me a, a kid so that I could, I could slaughter it and have a feast with my family. He thought that he could earn his inheritance, but actually he blocked the promises by his attitude. If only you just realize it's not about my merits, all I need to do is ask, the promise of that inheritance would have flowed into his life. Because the prodigal asked, didn't he? And he got. So we can block it by our attitude, by our lack of faith. Number four, they're available to ev everyone, but only received by some. Every one of us who knows Jesus should receive the promises, but we don't always receive them. And the reason we don't is because we don't believe them. It's like the promises are in a room and the door is locked. We can see them through the window, but we can't get to them. But you know what the key is to that door, church? It's called faith. And the minute you use faith, the door's unlocked. And the very great and precious promises begin to flow into your life. Do you believe them this morning or do you doubt them? You know when you doubt them is when you start looking at the gaps, when you start looking at the big gulf in your life. This is where you are, that's where you'd like to be, and there's a storm, and there's unemployment, and there are health challenges, and you start looking at that instead of looking at that. You need to say, by faith, that's where I'm going. By faith, that's what God's gonna do. By faith, I'm on my way there. I, I, I'm not quite there yet, but I've got my eye on that, not on that. And faith unlocks it. Faith believes that what God says he will do. You need to believe that God is a healer. If you're going through difficulties in your marriage today, the Bible promises in Peter that he will restore, establish, and strengthen. So why are you looking at circumstances? Why are you rushing off to the divorce court? No, you need to live like the divine nature and the promises God, you can make this good. You can make this wonderful. You can restore our finances. You can restore our love. You can restore our sex life. It's very quiet in these Presbyterian churches that I get to preaching. Come on, do you believe the promises? It's faith that unlocks them. And sometimes God's promises come, but we don't think we deserve them. I was reading about this uh, homeless man, 67 year old Thomas Martinez, he lives in Bolivia on the streets, he drinks and he's, he's, he's a drug addict, and one, one afternoon he was sitting on a bench and he saw a police car stop, and two policemen got out and they began to approach him, so he got up and he ran away, and they couldn't catch him, he made his way into the bushes and they couldn't find him, you see Thomas Martinez thought that they were coming to arrest him for his drug habits, but what they were actually doing is they were coming to notify him that someone had left him an inheritance of six million rand. But because he didn't understand the value of his life and what he could receive, he only saw the negatives, and so he ran away. Don't run from the promises of God. 
Don't turn from them. God's promises are not there to threaten you. They're there to bless you. Number five, they are valuable, but not valued by everyone. A lot of people just skim over the promises of God. How many of you know if you, if you don't value something, you'll neglect it? Isn't that true? If you don't value your car, you'll neglect it. If you don't value your home, you won't clean it. If you don't value certain items that you have, you just leave them lying in a drawer. You, you might even lose them. But when you value something, you tend, to, you tend to hold on to it. And Christians don't always value the promises of God. When you don't value something, you lose it, even though it's yours. Let me illustrate it. I was reading some fascinating stories this week that were brought to me. And uh, one of them is about the Apple, the first edition Apple laptop computer. It, it, it looks like a typewriter, but that was the first laptop. Well, someone in California said, well, what's this old thing doing in my garage? They took it out and they took it to the recycling center. Someone at the recycling center looked at this and said, thank you so much. They took it to auction and someone at auction bought it for 2.8 million rand. Pity the person didn't recognize the value. Isn't that sad? There's a motorbike called the Brow Superior. It was made in 1938. They say it's the Rolls Royce of motorbikes. That bike plus eight, seven others was abandoned in a barn by an owner who lost interest. Someone found that, that bike and the others brought them out, put them on show at auction, and that bike alone was eventually bought by a German bidder for six million rand. You see, what you don't recognize is the value. Why? Because you just don't see it. It's time you started looking at the promises of God and seeing their value, because if you don't value something, you lose it. Isn't that true? And some of us think they're just there to decorate the Bible like poetry. Oh, that's beautiful. That's obviously for David. That's for Solomon. That's for someone else. And, you know, I'll just cling to one or two that I've seen to be real. And that makes the... There was a chief of the Indians in America called Chief Crowfoot. He was the chief of the Blackfoot tribe. And when the railway began to be expanding all over America, they approached him and they asked permission, can we run the railroad through your territory? He finally agreed that they could go from this point to that point through his territory. As a result of the permission, he was given a railway pass for life. He could get on any train and go anywhere all over America because of what he'd allowed the railroad to do. Well, guess what Chief Crowfoot did with that railway pass? He put it in a leather pouch. He thought it was such an honor in a leather pouch, and he wore it around his neck for the rest of his life, and history records that he never ever once went on a train. He just honored that promise, but never used it. Are you someone who carries the Bible around, and is you wonderfully glad that it's got all the promises in it, that you never avail yourself? It's time you began to realize they're valuable, but not everyone values them. Are you with me today? What we don't value, we won't use. And number six, as I come to a close this morning, we don't stand on the problems of life. We stand on the promises of God. We must not stand on the promises of life or our lives will sink, church. And listen to me, why does the Bible talk about standing on the promises? Because it's something to do with our feet. The promises are like stepping stones. Do you remember what the Lord told Joshua when he went into the land? He told him, you're going to inherit the land. But did Joshua face adverse circumstances? He did. There were enemies. There were giants. There were obstacles. But this is what the Lord said to him, and I want to remind you, Joshua 1 and verse 3, every place 
that the soul of your foot will tread upon, I've given you as I said to Moses. You see, you've got to put your feet on the solid promises of God's word, not upon the circumstances. If you put your feet on the circumstances, you will sink because there's nothing solid here, only storms and gulfs. But when you stand every place on which you Christian put your foot, that is a promise of God, that God will give to you. And we need to stand on the promises. You say, but you don't know what's happening in my life. No, I know what's happening in your life. Contrary circumstances. Now, as we come to a close, the prophet Habakkuk pointed us as to what to do when we have contrary circumstances. And I want us to read it. Because like Joshua, we need to do the same when we see giants. Are you with me? So Habakkuk chapter three. And some of you, this is the story of your life. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. That means your career's at a standstill. There's no money in the bank. There's no car in the garage. It's just nothing, nothing, nothing. What do you do? Circumstances are shouting. He says, this is what you do. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Not just be, oh, I'm gonna be positive. No, I'm gonna be joyful in the God who is, who keeps his promises. That's what gives me joy. Now watch what he says. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Now watch, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Why would he talk about a deer on rocks when we're talking about money? Because what he's saying is, when there's nothing, when there's nothing, 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 you've got to determine to trust the promises of God. And when you do, there will be solid things under your feet that will cause you to walk on heights where other people are living in depths. You will cross over what is drowning everyone else. Why? Because you're joyful in who God is and what God can do. And you're not living trapped like everyone else. You're stretching yourself to trust the promises of God. But what we do is we stop focusing and we stop rejoicing in the promises and we allow the circumstances to pull us down. Church, it's time we made a decision to stand on the promises and to believe God for his best and to ignore contrary circumstances because they lie to us anyway. God is the one who gives us his truth. I'm gonna pray in a moment and hand over to Pastor Nick in Kailami. But I just wanna remind us before I pray, not everything that God offers do we receive. Isn't that the truth? Not everything God promises do we receive. Let me give you an example. Noah preached salvation to the world around him for 120 years, but only eight people believed the promise and got saved. Isn't that true? That's the way it is. Lot preached to all the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he invited them to come out and be free. Only three accepted the promise of, of rescue. All the others perished. 600,000 children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea but only two entered the promised land. I don't know about you, but I wanna be part of those who receive what's promised, not just look at what's promised, hear what's promised, I want it 
in my life. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 